Today's video was recorded on March 8, 2022 and is our ninth in our series through the book of Exodus. In today's lesson, we're going to ask a question of the Bible about Pharaoh and whether or not Pharaoh repented. Now, we don't usually think of Pharaoh repenting in this story. Still, when we take a close look at what the Bible says about Pharaoh's reactions, we see that he is definitely shifting and, at one point, he'll even admit that he is sinning against the Lord and asks for forgiveness. So what we're going to do is we're going to follow the flow of Pharaoh and his officials and the reactions that they have to each of the plagues. So as the plagues progress, the response of Pharaoh changes right along with the increasing nature of the plagues. At one point, Pharaoh's officials are even pleading with him to stop contending with Moses. Of course, all of this leads us to the question, did Pharaoh repent? And this is really going to be the main point of the lesson today. Now, on our website, we've uploaded a document that'll help you with the study of Pharaoh's heart. And this is a chart that we've created that shows all the times that the Bible mentions Pharaoh's heart and then which Hebrew word is used in that verse. We recognize that trying to tackle this topic by only reading your English Bible is no easy task, and it can definitely lead to a lot of frustration. And one way that I've dealt with this difficulty is to isolate the variables as much as I can. So this sheet will help you do that. We've done this work for you, so you don't have to go verse by verse and try to figure out each location that mentions Pharaoh's heart, and then which of the three Hebrew words underlies the word hard or hardened. The study of Pharaoh's heart is complex, so take your time. Study the topic, and then put it away for a while. Let some time go by. Pick it back up again for a second or third time at some point in the future. Reread the narrative in Exodus. Notice the small details that carry the story along. Then go back, watch or listen to the lesson again, maybe even multiple times. It's just like when you watch a movie the second or third time, well, you see things in the movie that you didn't see the first time. That's exactly how the Bible is. And I guarantee if you go back over this topic again and even again, you'll see things that you didn't see before. And that's just how the Bible works. That's why it's so important that we read and reread our Bibles over our lifetime. So we hope you enjoy today's lesson on this very important question. Did Pharaoh repent? So my question that we're going to ask is, did Pharaoh repent? And typically, we don't think of the story that way. I don't think the text tells us specifically one way or the other, but we want to ask the question so that when we approach the, the Bible, we're looking for something, particularly the way Pharaoh responds throughout the Ten Plagues, and then say, did he change? Did he have a change? And I think that we'll find that he actually did. Now, like I said, I don't think, I don't, the text doesn't say specifically whether he repented fully or anything like that, but I just want you to be aware of the transformation that's happening with Pharaoh. Now, this is really the importance of becoming very familiar with the text. And sometimes I think that that gets lost on us, but I think week after week, as we do these studies, you realize how many details are in the Bible. And the only way to start integrating those details 
is to be very familiar with the text. And of course, I think the average Christian, if you said, okay, and I know you guys are all above average, but the average Christian, if you said, what about the 10 plagues? Tell me what happened. You know, they would have a vague answer like, well, after each plague, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, um, something like that. And I, that we, saw, we did that last week and we'll review today. But when you really study it very deeply, you'll start seeing things that perhaps we didn't see before. So this is going to be our question. And again, I don't know that we'll answer it, but I think the text that we'll look at will at least raise your awareness of what's in the Bible. Okay. We will talk about this picture, this background picture today. We'll go through it in a little bit more detail. This is Egyptian, Egyptian afterlife. What happens to the deceased? Well, the deceased has to go through a process, and the process is right here. The, the central part of the process is a set of scales. And this ceremony is called the weighing of the heart, and we'll look closer at it tonight, but the gist is this, that when the deceased goes into the afterlife, their afterlife, their heart is set on one side of the scale, and it's set against the feather of truth, or in Egyptian, ma'at, and we'll talk a little bit more about what ma'at is, and whether Pharaoh is creating ma'at, but the feather of truth. This is the ceremony, and I think this ceremony then speaks to some of the Hebrew words that are lying underneath the idea of whether Pharaoh's heart was hardened or Pharaoh's heart was heavy, as the Hebrew actually says. So we'll talk more about this. But this is our main question tonight. Did Pharaoh repent? And I think God, you know, Israel, uh, Israel means to wrestle with God. So, you know, it's always good to bring tough questions to God. If anybody can handle it, it's God can handle tough questions. He's not bound by all of our human limitations and quirks and foibles and all of that. So, okay, this is Exodus part eight. No, this is Exodus part nine. Okay, I'll change that slide. I'll fix that. Um. Let me make sure, just, I, I wanted to put this in uh, the video to make sure that um, I provide a resource for anybody watching. This book, Ancient Egypt and the Old Testament, great foundational book just to understand how Egypt affects the Old Testament. The author's named John Curid. He was a professor, Bible professor at a school called Grove City College in Pennsylvania. So Bonnie's alma mater. Uh, he was there. He was there before Bonnie went to school there, but in the early 90s. Uh, he's got some great books, but this is an interesting one where he does talk about the impact that Egypt has on the Old Testament. Okay, so number one on your handout, we're going to go through a quick review because we're going to take what we did last week and we're going to integrate it uh, in a way that then we can reflect on that whole scene that's going on in the background there, the weighing of the heart ceremony. So last week, there were two main points, two main things that we looked at last week. Uh, the first one was, during the 10 plagues, who 
axe on Pharaoh's heart? Who's the subject? And the Hebrew can be very explicit. The Lord did something to Pharaoh's heart, the heart being the object. And then we looked at, well, there's three Hebrew words that all get translated into one English word, hard or harden. And it's important, at least last week, I wanted to at least introduce this concept that these, that there are three Hebrew words underlying one English word, because most people just don't even realize that that's the case. So these were the two things, who acts and which Hebrew word then is used during the action. That's what we want to integrate tonight. So the Hebrew words, again, this is review. We'll integrate them in a minute. Let's see, in English, hard or harden shows up anywhere from 17 to 19 times, just in the span of this God and Pharaoh. And then in Hebrew, three different words. We went over these last time. Kasha, I'll go over the definition in a minute. Hazak and KVD, Kived. And each one has a distinct uh, definition, a distinct meaning. So it's important then to place in the context of what's going on, which Hebrew word. So last week, this was our little chart that we put up. About the only way that I can to do this, because it gets so complex, is you kind of have to isolate as much as you can. Isolate some variables like these three words. Okay, uh, real quick, kasha. Uh, the Hebrew word kasha, it only shows up one time in the, uh, in the whole text. I think it's uh, Exodus 7, verse 3. And it means to make hard or make difficult, to make somebody stubborn. So, uh, you know, the Israelites are always being accused of being stiff-necked. So that stiff-neck is the word kasha. And so... This is the primary Hebrew word that would, um, it's the primary Hebrew word that would at least match our conception of how we view this story of God and Pharaoh. We kind of view Pharaoh as being very stubborn. I won't let them go. I won't let them go. I won't let them go. That's the primary Hebrew word for that. Then that brings us to the word that's used the most, hazak. Hazak, hazak. Be strong, be strong. Be strong and courageous, God tells Joshua. Hazak. It shows up everywhere in the Bible. To be strong, to strengthen, to make strong, to encourage. So we looked last week in the idea that one Pharaoh, hazak, to be strong-hearted in Egyptian a context is positive. So that's what every pharaoh wants to be. You must have courage to be the leader of the world. So that's a positive thing. And then we noted that when God steps in, he's always stepping in with hazak. That's to get pharaoh through those ten plagues. And then the last one is a word kaved, uh, K-V-D. It's used six times. And this one gets translated heavy to make heavy, and it's also the word that's used, or the root of a word that's used for the, the word glory. 
So we noted last week there's a word play going on. God's glory, KVD, is revealed. At the same time, Pharaoh's heart is heavied, KVD. So God's glory is revealed at the expense of Pharaoh's heart being heavied. And in that Egyptian context of the weighing of the heart, ah, now the word heavy makes some sense. So, it's not completely out of context to have it mean heavy. Okay, so now what we need to do, let's integrate these two ideas. So, for instance, uh, if we look at plagues one through five, this is what we did last week. The first five plagues, including the, um, including the staff into the snake, uh, we want to look at who acts on the heart. Is it Pharaoh or is it God? Who's the uh, subject acting on the object? And we noted last week that in the first five plagues, it's only Pharaoh acting, or even more ambiguously, it's his heart somehow acting. For instance, three times the text says Pharaoh's heart was strong. Now, it doesn't really say directly that Pharaoh acted on his heart, but there's, it's ambiguous. Pharaoh's heart was strong, like a, like a description of his heart. The magicians can replicate the, the plague. Pharaoh got encouraged. Ah, who's this god? He's just the god of the slaves. He's not that powerful, right? If he was that powerful, they wouldn't be slaves. And my magicians can do what, they can, what he can do. So Pharaoh is encouraged. His heart got strong. Then, as we noted, and we'll look again this week, Pharaoh starts to notice as God transcends time, transcends geography, is able to discriminate between these cattle and those cattle. Pharaoh then begins to heavy his heart, kaved. And I think that right there, most people are surprised by, that the first five plagues, God is absent as far as acting on Pharaoh's heart. So, that's the first five plagues. Well, what happens next? Well, Pharaoh, as we'll see tonight, begins to waver. He begins to change. He's recognizing that the God he's up against is bigger than he thinks he originally thought. So, six through ten plagues, we now have God stepping in. Four times when God steps in, he steps in with a hazak. So, Pharaoh, the, the plague happens, and it says, And God hazaked, strengthened Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh wouldn't let him go. And so, the argument by some scholars is, well, Pharaoh's, or God is encouraging Pharaoh. He needs him to go all, all the way through ten plagues. And so he strengthens his heart, doesn't change his mind. He's still making decisions, but he's got the courage back to keep going and see his plan through. Then we see one time Pharaoh heavies his heart. And then, just so everybody's aware, there's one time where the word kaved it's in uh, chapter 10, verse 1. We, I don't think we're going to, we're not going to look at it tonight, but it's not a direct action at the end of a plague. This is God talking to Moses. And he uses, the, the Bible uses KVD, I've heavied. 
You'd say, well, why did God, why did that switch there? And it's kind of a strange little sentence that stands out, but it seems to me that God is explaining to Moses what's going on in the sense of judgment. Because when we look at the weighing of the heart, it's a judgment in the afterlife. And so it's likely a reference to God is saying to Moses, I'm now judging Pharaoh's heart. Uh, just before this happens, Pharaoh says, I have sinned. He's admitting his sin. So when we look at this weighing of the heart ceremony, there's something being said. It, uh, Pharaoh is a god within the pantheons. He's not going to be judged, but God is saying, oh no, I'm your judge. I weigh your heart, Pharaoh. So there is one time in the text that God, uh, it's ver uh, chapter 10, verse 1. So, okay, we'll, we'll finish with that. God is Pharaoh's judge. He doesn't know that yet, or at least I think he begins to think that throughout this whole thing. Okay, so right there you have uh, the, the ten plagues, and as they move through, who's acting on whose heart and which word is being used. Now what I want to do is go a little bit deeper into the weighing of the heart ceremony. So the weighing of the heart, according to Egyptian theology, uh, it's called the Book of the Dead, is where they find this. It happens in the afterlife. And this whole ceremony, the central piece to this is this, these scales, and the deceased person's heart is going to be placed on the scales. You can see the deceased person is going to be led through this. It's sometimes referred to as the two hallways. They're led through. If you Google weighing of the heart, and you look at some of the images, you have different representations of the same image that look similar, but they might have the people in a little bit different position. Up above the scale, right there along the top, you have the pantheon of Egyptian gods. They're all the witnesses that are going to be called against you to see if you've sinned, if your heart was heavy. And then the central piece, of course, this scale, and we'll talk about that jackal-headed god here in a minute. I've already mentioned the heart then goes on one side of the scale and is weighed against the feather of truth. In Egyptian, it's called ma'at. And ma'at is bigger than just truth. It's order and it's balance in the universe and it's justice. And in the Egyptian mind, the heart was the seat of the psyche. We would say your mind is, right? If you're hard-headed, it's because your mind is hard-headed. In Egyptian, your heart is where the uh, seat of your psyche is. And they believed that Pharaoh controlled the balance of the universe, that he could maintain order in the cosmos. And so what you can see if you're being judged against truth, order, balance, and justice, what is happening to Egypt all around Pharaoh? Well, it's certainly not order, balance, and justice. So there's a, almost like a, a revealing that it's not Pharaoh that is in charge of order, balance, and justice. 
So to use the phrase heavied Pharaoh's heart, he's, he's not maintaining order. He's creating chaos. He thinks he's creating order, or he's trying to maintain order in Egypt, but the result is he's creating chaos. So what we'll see through his reaction and the, and the officials' reactions is that they're beginning to realize Pharaoh can't hold it all together. And that's, his, that's part of the judgment, right? And the heart, this, you know, we almost think of this even in our own way of, of judgment, right? Did you create chaos or did you maintain order or provide order? Did you bring order to the world or did you make everything worse, right? And so Pharaoh, in a sense, is making things worse in the name of trying to make them better. So this God right here, let me see, this one right here, I, I put the name of this God on your handout. This is Anubis. He's the God of the afterlife, and he's going to usher everybody through the ceremony uh, to paradise. Eventually, you get to paradise. He's going to usher everybody through. Then you have a God who, let me go to another wider picture. There's a God back here, Toth. And that God is the God of writing. So what's that God doing? He's writing down kind of like the book of life. Is your name written in the book of life? He's writing down all of your sins, like on, a, on the sheet of paper. He's transcribing the ceremony. And then what happens? Well, what happens if your heart is heavier than the feather of truth? Well, it descends into the chaos, and you got this little critter back here. And that little critter... Uh, his name is Amit, A-M-M-I-T, and he is a devourer of the dead. It's the thing that swallows you from the underworld, and he represents that powerful force that will devour you from the underworld. He's a combination. He's got the hind feet of a hippo. He's got the front legs of a lion and the head of a crocodile. So hippo, lion, crocodile. Those were the three animals in Egypt that could eat a human being. So those were the three animals all put together that will devour you. And of course, if your heart sinks, then he's waiting there eagerly to devour. And of course, the worst thing that could ever happen to an Egyptian is in the afterlife being sucked down into that terrible uh, god in the underworld. So, okay, that's the whole, that's basically what's happening. And the context then is, well, we would call it sin. It's, a, it's the Egyptian context of sin. And you're heavying your heart. And when you sin, your heart gets heavy and nobody wants to enter the afterlife with a heavy heart because you'll end up in the, in the, the jaws of a meat in the underworld. You won't make it to paradise. So I want to go and show you in the text. When we finally see the word sin showing up uh, uh, concerning Pharaoh, you're also going to see that he heavied his heart. They're, they're connected in a way. So uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Exodus. It's in chapter 9, and this is the plague of hail. And hail is going to be a bit of a turning point for Pharaoh. What I'm going to do is give you three verses to read. I wrote them down uh, on your sheet so you can follow along number three. But within chapter nine, 
we're just going to look at three verses to see this connection between sin and that heavied, heavied heart. So, the first one is Exodus 9.14. If you're reading the King James or the New King James, your Bible will be different than everybody else's. And I'll show you where in a minute. But Exodus 9.14, I think I started this at Exodus 9.13, but... So here's how the, the hail, the, the plague of the hail begins. So it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so that you may worship me. And then... It says this, or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against, and what does your Bible say? Most Bibles say you, against you. But if you have a King James or the New King James, it says against your heart or thine heart, I think, in the King James. And this is key. Translators well, you know, they're talking about his heart. That's the center of a person, so it's really against you. But the text says against your heart. That's key. The full force of God's plague is not just coming against Pharaoh or Egypt, specifically Pharaoh's heart. So there's a, he's got a target in mind here, and Pharaoh would know exactly what that means. And you can see the hail is the turning point. It's where Pharaoh's finally going to admit that he sinned. So it's important if your Bible doesn't have, if your Bible has you, it would be important to note that that actually, the Hebrew word says against your heart, very specifically. All right, so that's where the plague is headed, right? Now look down at verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 27. And in verse 27, this is the very first mention of Pharaoh sinning. So the text says, verse 27, Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. Uh, he's, the, the, like I said, the hail is kind of this strange turning point uh, in the whole ten plagues. Even if you read the, the plague of the hail, you'll notice something that God's mercy is on display. God gives them a chance to get out of the way. Hey, tell your uh, servants or tell your, your officials, if they don't want their servants or their cattle or whatever to die, bring them inside. They'll be safe. And some of the officials follow it. The officials that feared the Lord, who apparently they could see what was going on and Pharaoh couldn't. But Pharaoh says this, this time I have sinned. He's admitting his sin. This is the first uh, image we see of, of Pharaoh actually admitting that he's sinning. Then he says next, the Lord is in the right, and I and my people are wrong. Now, does that sound like somebody who's recognizing their behavior? That's seeing things that his... Uh, Waking up, in a way, to the reality that's going on. The Lord is right, and I or my people are wrong. So, we're, we're going to see a better one than this, but it almost sounds like he's acknowledging who God is and that he's sinned. He's shifting. 
Okay. Next one, look down at verse Exodus 9, verse 34. This will be our final one just for this example. So there, there's the whole interaction with the hail. Moses finally goes out and prays. The hail stops. And he says this, when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had stopped, he sinned again. Right? So there's a second example of, her- of Pharaoh sinning. And then it says this, he and his officials, now your Bible probably says hardened, but the word used, the Hebrew word, kvd, kaved, he and his officials heavied their hearts. And now you get the image back there of the, what's happening in the afterlife connecting to the sin that's going on out there, uh, at least Pharaoh acknowledging his sin. Okay, so the question, did Pharaoh repent? Well, it looks like he's moving in that direction, the recognition of who God is. But I want to do something. I'm going to go through this rather quickly, but I want you to see it because if you don't, uh, you know, the Bible is always like this. If you don't stop and kind of look at the specifics, we often miss them. So what I want to look at is how both Pharaoh and his officials are responding. As the plagues are building, their responses start are changing the whole way. And it's important to note that because we tend to think maybe uh, Pharaoh has like a flat affect. He just doesn't ever show any emotion at all and nothing changes. But that's not true. It's changing the whole way through. So on the back side of your handout, number four, I'm going to just start the beginning and say, okay, how does Pharaoh and his, or his officials react? So the very first thing we have is the staff and the snake, followed by the, the sign of the blood, the Nile turning into blood. In this case, the magicians can replicate it. Ah, that gives Pharaoh all kinds of confidence about that this God is not very strong. And so the text says his heart was strong. That's, he starts out very confident about the battle that he's engaging with, with God. Second plague, the frogs. One, the magicians can replicate it. Okay, that's good. But they add in, this is the text uh, two weeks ago we looked at, where you add in the element of time. Pharaoh says, hey, get these frogs out of here. Moses says, all right, when do you want me to do it? He's like, uh, tomorrow. Okay, it'll be done tomorrow. And when God's able to do it at a specific time, now Pharaoh changes, something shifts. He heavies his heart, KVD. Okay, so he knows something's going on. Third plague, number three. This is the lice, or some of your Bibles say gnats. Um, the, the magicians can't replicate it. That's, there's a, some irony. The smallest of bugs, the, the magicians can't do. So there's irony in the plague. And their response, very uh, telling here of the, of the magicians, is they go to Pharaoh and they say, this is the finger of God. And you say, okay, well, so what? Big deal. In Egypt, that's a big deal. Because in Egyptian writings, 
the strength of Pharaoh is represented by the phrase, the mighty hand, or an outstretched arm. And there's a couple times where God says, I will stretch out my hand against, that's Pharaoh talk. So it's a mighty hand that God moves the Israelites out of Egypt. Well, it's Pharaoh's mighty hand who does, who does wonders in Egypt. But notice the magicians recognize the power and they say, oh no, this isn't the hand of God. It's one finger of God. Oh, they're starting to see the power that they're up against. The magicians can see it way before Pharaoh. And notice, this is the one that Jesus quotes. If by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Chaos is pushed back. Healing occurs. So it's that finger of God. Only the little finger, not the whole hand or the arm. Okay, next. Number four, the flies. It's during this one that Pharaoh begins to say, he starts bargaining in a way with Moses. He begins to bargain. Uh, well, why don't you do your sacrifices here in the land? Moses says, we can't do that. He's like, um, okay, I'll let you go, but don't go far away. And so you start to see bargaining going back and forth, a negotiation. and. Real quick, I'll just put this on the screen, but go back and read it when you get a chance. Um, Pharaoh, he, he even says, look, I'll let you go offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness. He's starting to shift. He's starting to say, okay, I'll let you go if, you, if this chaos will stop. But he puts a qualifier on it. You can't go very far. Now, that's kind of funny, but... Um, He's realizing he's in too deep, and this begins a series of negotiations. Now, I'm just going to do them real quick. I also think it's funny that he, he's asking Moses to pray for him, which is funny. But anyways, there is some irony here in the story. This is going to begin a series of negotiations, and I, and I would just want you to notice that they all flow in, in, uh, in the same direction. So I, I didn't put this... Uh, well, they're broken up on your sheet. I'm putting them all on, on one slide here. The first thing uh, Pharaoh says, look, make your sacrifices in the land of Egypt. Moses says, we can't do that. We'll offend you guys. Um, okay, well, you can go, but you can't go too far. I'm not going to let you go three days. Then he doesn't let, he doesn't let Moses go. Then a little bit further, he says, okay, you can go out into the wilderness, but only the men can go. You can't take your women or children. Then he doesn't let them go. Eventually, he says, okay, look, the men can go, the women can go, the children can go, but you can't take your, your livestock. Moses says, it's not going to fly. And then when we finally get to the end, he says, now go. But the reason I want to put this all up there is, you know, pharaohs don't negotiate with their slaves on what they're going to do. Totalitarians don't negotiate, but he's negotiating. He keeps changing. Hey, I'll, I'll let you go. Well, I'll let the men go. No, okay, the women can go. Okay, now, so there's an, there's an element of increasing negotiation, and each time he's loosening up his grip of what he's going to let go. So again, just key to notice what's happening uh, with the flow of the text. 
that Pharaoh keeps changing his mind about what's going on, even though he never does let him go. Okay, um, so there's a flow to this, and that's important to notice. All right, number five, livestock. This is uh, the cattle. Pharaoh heavies his heart. Number six, the boils. Um, the magicians can't stand in front of Moses. So the magicians are always ahead of Pharaoh on recognizing the power. Number seven, this is what we just did. Pharaoh admits his sin. So this is the one we just looked at. It's uh, chapter 9, verse 27. Pharaoh says, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. So he's admitting his sin. You can see him changing there. And then uh, once he sins, he heavies his heart. Then we get to the locust. And there's two in this one that are really going to bring home the, uh, my argument here. The first one is Pharaoh's officials. And Pharaoh's officials, they recognize what's happening. Oh, the Pharaoh's lost control. And they say, basically, hey, look, you're ruining Egypt. And this is, uh, it's such an important psychological aspect to all totalitarian states. All totalitarian states, in the name of maintaining order, destroy the state. From, from the Tower of Babel to, you know, whichever one you want to pick in our modern age. They all, tend, they all work the same way. So look real quick, Exodus 10, verse 7, because this is such a great line to remember. Uh, Exodus 10, verse 7, and this is the Pharaoh's officials are recognizing that it's not worth the battle. You're going to destroy Egypt while battling with this guy. So the Pharaoh's officials say to him, how long, how long will this man be a snare to us, this Moses guy? Right? He says, let the people go so that they may worship. And in here, they use the proper name of God, Yahweh, their God. So now it's getting more specific, which God. And then it says, do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? And that there tends to be in all totalitarian dictators a blind spot about their behavior. You know, Pol Pot and Cambodia was destroyed in the name of maintaining order. And you get the same type of psychological profile here in the Pharaoh. But something's going to happen, and this is, this is so key. Once the officials point this out, look down about 10 verses. Look at verse uh, 16 in chapter 10, Exodus 10, 16 and 17. Because this is where you finally get the closest language that would look like repentance. That may, perhaps Pharaoh even listened to his officials. He sees who God is, or he's beginning to recognize who God is. He's beginning to have, uh, see the glory of God, glory being the shining power of God that's being revealed. The text says, verse 16, Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God. So there's the sinning against the Lord your God. Not just I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord your God. And, oh, by the way, against you, Moses. And then 
here's where I where my whole question of the of the repentance part comes in. Now forgive my sin once more. He's asking for the forgiveness of his sin. And of course, to pray to the Lord to God. Now maybe he's doing it because he's trying to manipulate the God into letting the, you know, getting rid of the plague. But uh this is the closest thing you're gonna get. But I just notice that Pharaoh is changing. He does recognize what's going on. He does change his stance. He's recognizing his sin and that he's sinning against God. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible tells us that he repented, but I just, we don't read uh, intently enough and pay attention to the, the different flow of narrative that shows up that can kind of show us different aspects of who Pharaoh is. But I've sinned against the Lord your God. Now forgive my sin once more. That's a, that sounds like repentance language. Okay. So the question, well, we may not have answered it directly, but you can see Pharaoh's realizing something, which is, I think, what we'll see in a minute, why God has to step in and strengthen his heart. So if we kind of tell the story a little bit differently, this is what I did this last week. The story begins with Pharaoh, who is, uh, he doesn't know who God is. It's the God of the slave people, must not be very strong. And once he starts going up against, against him, and the magicians can do the same thing, he's strong, he's uh, encouraged, he keeps going. But then he begins to see, he begins to see who God is, and now the language changes. We get the heaviness, right? And that makes sense because of the Egyptian um, afterlife, the judgment, the, the weighing of the heart against the feather of truth, or ma'at, right? Chaos is happening around him, and Pharaoh can't stop it. He's not in control of ma'at. Everything's going out of balance. And one of the keys to this, that something that comes out of the text, is it tells us who's Pharaoh's judge. See, Pharaoh isn't supposed to be judged. He's in the pantheon. And this whole thing is telling you, oh no, Pharaoh, you will be judged. And God, Yahweh, is the judge. So that's another aspect that comes out of this, because the world has to know, even if you're a king, you're going to be judged by Yahweh God. I didn't put this on your handout, but if you turn to Proverbs 21.2, actually, I noted on your handout something about Proverbs 21.2. Proverbs 21.2, in the context of Pharaoh and his heart, suddenly takes on a little bit different, uh, it, there's a little bit different light being shown on this text here. So Proverbs 21.2, and it says, now, great opening here. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. Who do you think the king's heart is that Proverbs 21, 2, or I'm sorry, that's 21 verse 1. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water. God moves the king, however, how he wants him to go. And then verse 2, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. So who is Pharaoh's judge? Yahweh God is Pharaoh's judge. And I think Pharaoh begins to realize it. So what happens? 
He starts to negotiate more with Moses. Okay, I'll let you, the men go. Okay, I'll let the men and women and children go. But each time, God is now stepping in later, and he's strengthening Pharaoh. I got to bring you through. We got to get to the Passover. The Passover holiday is coming up. Hopefully, I was able to present that in a way to say, look, there's some continuity going on here. The way Pharaoh's acting, the way the plagues are going, and, the, and they're, they're showing God's glory. The words, the Hebrew words that are being used fit. So, just a quick review uh, of tonight, because I know, again, that was probably a lot. In Egypt, your heart is judged against ma'at. That's balance, truth, order, uh, justice. Did you maintain, was, was, was Pharaoh maintaining justice by murdering the Hebrew babies? No. Well, it was a different Pharaoh. But either way, is Pharaoh maintaining justice? No, he's not. Is he maintaining order? No, he's not. So his heart's going to be judged. Pharaoh's reactions change the whole way. He's, uh, he's not just flat. Um, words of repentance. I have sinned against the Lord your God. Forgive my sins. Ah, that's getting pretty close to words of repentance. And then, ultimately, I think one of the things that comes out of this is that God is Pharaoh's judge. And he's flipping it on him. Pharaoh doesn't think that at first, but then begins to realize, uh-oh, I'm going to be judged in all of this too. And, well, we have a whole history of totalitarian leaders that don't think they're going to be judged, but uh, something they've got some, something waiting for them on the other side in the name of Jesus, who is the judge. So, did Pharaoh uh, repent? Well, you'll be the judge. You will all judge whether he did or not, and I don't think this is going to be an argument to, you know, to die on or uh, has, you know, it doesn't affect our salvation in a way. But I think if we can look at the text just a little bit different and see things that we haven't seen before, and I, like, I've, like I've said last week, I really just want to put this out there to introduce people to um, some of the nuances that are going on. And the great thing about putting it in a video that can be watched repeatedly is it takes time. So all of your homework is at some point in the near future, read your Bible, and then, I don't know, a month, two months from now, go back and listen again after you've read the story a couple times, because things start to, the Spirit of God will work on you, and uh, uh, what's the, it will plow the soil for the, for the Word of God to start uh, growing, and you, you can start seeing things you never saw before in the text. All right, so that's, uh, that's the second part of Pharaoh's heart. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson, and that it helps you gain a deeper understanding of the biblical text. Fig Tree Ministries is an educational nonprofit, and we're 100% listener-supported. If our lessons have been valuable to you in your study of the Bible, we ask that you support our work with a financial donation. Whether it's a one-time donation, or you become a monthly supporter, we appreciate your generous gift. Donations are easy through our website, figtreeteaching.com, and you can become a regular supporter for as little as $5 per month. We've included a link to our donation page in the description section below. Online giving through our donation partner, DonorBox, is easy and secure. By setting up your DonorBox account, 
you'll be able to easily track your donations when it comes time to doing your taxes. We thank all of our donors for their generous gifts, and as you go into the world, may the words of number six be with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom. Shalom.